hey, hey, and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, so glad that you're here today. You've got a treat coming at you with my main man, Alan Stein. And, you know, one of those things is, you know, you may have seen him on some other podcasts recently, but the beautiful thing about it is uh, we all have different audiences. We have different styles. We ask different questions. We get a little something different out of the guest. And Alan Stein is one of those who respects that and who is a pro and uh, who does bring a different energy and a different vibe to each show that he's on. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode. It's uh, it's really cool. Uh, he and I uh, really connect on some stuff here. And so I couldn't wait to release it to you. So I wanted to go ahead and get it out as soon as possible. Plus his book release uh, is April 15th, April 12th, somewhere in there this week that this is dropping. So if you're listening to this later on, it's already released. You can go check it out on Amazon or wherever you get books. Uh, so uh, this episode is sponsored by my good friends over at Smart Choice. They are the fastest growing agency network for a reason, and they do a phenomenal job for you. Uh, they negotiate higher commissions, uh, lower volume requirements. If you're looking to pick up a market or two or looking to have a partner, uh, not equity partner, but just a partner for you to bounce ideas off of or to uh, access some markets or to get some strategies and ideas, smartchoiceagents.com. Go check it out, smartchoiceagents.com. Also, my good friends over at Canopy Connect. Oh my goodness. Uh, these guys have been with me from the jump. I love working with them. My agents love working with them. They are your one click solution to getting those deck pages you need to quote your prospects. Go to usecanopy.com backslash Heath and check it out. Book a demo, get your discount. I promise you it is, uh, it is so worth it. And, and the price point is right there for you to be able to afford. And it makes sense. Economically, it makes sense for your budget. It makes sense for your agency. It just makes sense. And I just think it's smart. So use canopy.com backslash Heath. And now to get into the show, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with my main man, Alan Stein. Alan Stein, what's happening, brother? I'm doing great, Heath. How are you, my friend? Man, I am good. So is it, do you know me? You used the junior? Or is it just something you put on your email? It's like Alan Stein Jr.? You know, I, when I did the, I did a rebrand when I left the basketball training space five years ago, I, I went into the corporate world and I tried to snag alanstein.com. And apparently there's another Alan Stein with the exact same name that already had the URL and I couldn't get it. So I decided to go back to using the junior uh, and went with alansteinjr.com. And then I changed all of my social handles. I added the junior just for consistency and branding. So to be honest, up until five years ago, I never used it. Um, yeah. but, but now it's kind of part of the, the, the trademark and the brand. So are you the second generation of Alan Stein? Is there like a... I am. And if, yeah. if, if, you have, if you ever meet my father, be prepared within the first 30 seconds, he will tell you the same dad joke he tells everyone, which is he's the original and I'm the carbon copy. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that's his you. favorite joke. And I, I, I always love him for it. There you go. 
All right. So now that we've gotten into some of that and, you know, probably bored the audience with some of that, let's get into, I'm just kidding. Let's get into, uh, you know, your background. Let's take a walk down memory lane. Tell the audience who Alan Stein is and, uh, or Alan Stein Jr. is and uh, walk us up to today. Well, from a professional standpoint, because I'm pretty sure that's all your audience would care about. You know, I think one of the most important things for folks to know is that basketball was my first identifiable passion and that I fell in love with the game when I was five years old. And I'm so grateful that here 40 plus years later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And, you know, I've been involved and in and around the game my entire life from different vantage points. Um, The first portion of that was certainly as a player, uh, was able to play basketball all the way up and through college, Uh, played at Elon College, which is now Elon University down in North Carolina. And while I was in college, uh, I started to develop an equal love for performance training and strength and conditioning and fitness and nutrition and mindset. Um, So when I graduated from Elon in 1998, I figured what could be better than combining my original love of the game of basketball with my newfound love of performance training. And I decided to become a basketball performance coach. And I did that from the moment I left Elon uh, all the way up until five years ago when I made the distinct pivot to, to switch over to the corporate space. And I now do corporate keynote speaking, lead workshops and, and write books. That's awesome. Elon, uh, there was a dude several years ago that came out and went to the NBA from there. A guy like Elijah or something. Do you remember? Do you know that name at all? I uh, Elijah Bryant, maybe? Okay. Yeah. I wasn't aware that anybody I had think, made the NBA from Elon. I, they've had several think, players come play overseas. Yeah. That's crazy. But anyway, so yeah, I, I, when I first heard about you and introduced to you by a friend of mine here in Little Rock, I, you know, media was drawn to you because of the NBA thing. I told you beforehand, I was going to geek out for a minute because yeah. I'll tell you, um, I, I've always been an NBA fan, a, a basketball fan my whole life. And there's a, a, a poster on my kid's wall that, you know, I, I draw him to all the time that says hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. And I, I try to have my kid live by that. And uh, obviously that quote is by my man, Kevin Durant. And a lot of you yeah. know who that is. If you don't, then crawl out from under a rock. But you worked with him directly, correct? Tell me what that was like. I did. I, I first met KD when he was 15 years old. So I am incredibly thankful that I had an opportunity to meet him kind of on his ascension up. And as he was still, you know, uh, evolving and developing and, and growing as a as a person and as a basketball player. So uh, I've got some really fond memories of meeting him, you know, when he was really young and uh, I'm so proud of everything that he's accomplished since. And, you know, I mean, by, by many people's accounts, you know, he's, he's a top three player in the world, arguably the best pure score in the game uh, and certainly a a future hall of famer. Um, So to, to, to go from where I met him to where he is now has been a really fun journey. And I was only a very tiny puzzle piece in that, beautiful mosaic, but I'm, I'm so thankful that I had that involvement. Yeah. Now, was that something that was just ingrained in him as a child? Was that something Alan Stein put in there in his life? Or was that influence from you or from childhood, that whole hard work and dedication? Because I've seen his documentaries. I've seen that video or the thing that came out about him. Actually, my kid and I love to watch Thunderstruck, which was the movie he came out with. Really cheesy, but I loved it. Um, and so does he, but anyhow, was that something that was inbred in him? Oh, absolutely. Kevin had all of those traits the the day I met him. I mean, I I would certainly like to believe that I I played a very small role, uh, in supporting that mindset and and filled his bucket and, and was able to, to maybe give him a few more tools for his toolbox. But to be crystal clear, uh, Kevin Durant would be the current Kevin Durant, whether or not he had ever met me. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just thankful that I was kind of part of the ride. And, you know, as I look back, cause you know, of course, I was much younger than two, 
Uh, and I, I have this, this same, the same thought with many of the players that I used to work with, you know, whether he realized it or not, KD was teaching me just as much as I'd like to believe that I was teaching him. I mean, he, you know, I was able to sharpen my sword and become a better coach because of working with someone like him. So uh, it was a very reciprocal relationship and we still keep in touch to this day. Um, I mean, you can only imagine how many, how many things necessitate his time and how busy he is and how many people are pulling him in several directions. So, you know, we, we don't communicate often, but uh, we, we certainly keep in touch occasionally over the years. And, and he knows uh, how proud I am of him and that I'm always rooting for him and, and to be successful on and off the court. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so much I want to get into with you and I, I don't even know where to begin. So I guess I'll start just by letting the audience know you. So previous guest on my show and a good friend of mine, Ted Clouser introduced us and Shortly after that, um, I got this package in the mail with this book, um, Raise Your Game. And obviously, it's a book you you wrote. And, you know, I read it. I hate reading. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> and I hate to even say that on my show because I advocate for reading. And when I do a lot of audible stuff. But, sure. you know, I, I read your book cover to cover. I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's something that impacted me. And so I, I wanted you, if you don't mind, maybe given... Just a, a few minutes on like where that originated from, where that came from, maybe a little bit about that book. I know you've got a, a, pre, or a sequel coming out to that next week. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that just a little bit. Sure. And, and before I do that, I just want to say how cool it is, you know, that how interconnected we all are uh, through social media and through the Internet. I mean, uh, I've never met Ted in person, but I, I actually consider him one of my good friends. He's one of my biggest supporters. You know, he and I ping messages back and forth on on Instagram and LinkedIn and, and email and comments all of the time uh, and have for the last several years. And he has been so amazingly supportive of my work. And uh, but we've never actually met in person. And then, you know, he throws a book your way. And now you and I connect and, and we've never met in person, but now obviously we're having a, an in-depth conversation. So I just think it's really awesome that we can build and grow friendships and relationships kind of through all of these different mediums. And that's, you know, there, there's a lot of detractors to the social world, social media, rightfully yeah. so, because there's certainly some slippery slopes, but there's also some glaring positives. You know, uh, I may never have met Ted or may never have met you if it wasn't for these outlets. So I think that's really cool and, and certainly want to give a, a major shout out to Ted. But to, to answer your question, when I decided to make the leap over to the corporate speaking world, um, I had always known, you know, for decades before that, that I wanted to write a book. You know, I've I am actually a voracious reader and I have been impacted by so many different books, by authors that I've never met. But, but I can literally say that my perspective on the world was shifted after I read their work. So I've always had a very strong respect and appreciation for books and for authors and, and always knew that, that that was something kind of on my, my bucket list that, that I'd love to be able to, to, to summarize all of the lessons that I had learned through the game of basketball and put that on some, some pages that, that hopefully folks would enjoy and benefit from. So uh, writing the book um, was, was, like I said, kind of a bucket list item. And the first book, Raise Your Game, was all about how to reach optimal performance, like how to climb to the top of whatever mountain you're trying to climb, uh, personally or professionally, and what are the tools you need to perform at an optimal level. And uh, now, as you mentioned, I've got a, a follow-up book called Sustain Your Game, and that takes it the next step further, which is once you've kind of reached the mountaintop, how do you stay there 
and manage stress, stagnation, and burnout. So uh, you can certainly read either book in either order. They're not necessarily a sequel per se, uh, but I do think if you read them in tandem, you'll get the most benefit. And and I've enjoyed writing them, and I certainly enjoy promoting them as well. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And again, I can't wait for the next one to come out. And uh, I think I even signed to be on your street team, so you're welcome. But <laughs> no, I... Um... I think it's awesome, uh, and I'm a, a big fan. And so right now, um, and, and my audience knows this, I've been on this uh, time management journey and this journey for me personally to go from being busy to productive. And I know that's something that's got to be, I haven't read the book, obviously, but it's got to be involved in that. Yep. But it's something for me personally, as your typical sales guy and your you know typical small business owner or typical producer in insurance, it's easy to be busy and to have all these 90,000 things going on but you never get anything accomplished. Uh, and I find it fascinating and I want to hear from you on this. Uh, but like so much of my time could be in, in producers that I work with, time could be distracted by email, by social media. And I heard something from you and I wanted you to expound on it. So I'm not going to steal your thunder too much, but you put out a percentage of you know how much time people do. Maybe it was a study you did on how much time people spend on email and social media. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that because when I heard it from you somewhere, it was staggering. And I started looking at my own life. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a guilty and I, I do the same thing. So you know what I'm talking about? Can you share some of that I, with I, me? I absolutely do. And uh, yeah, and for clarification, I don't do research on my end, but I absolutely study and learn from the research that much more qualified yeah. people do. Uh, and I had saw a study that says uh, the average U.S. worker spends 25% of their workday just on email. Uh, they didn't even account for social media in that specific study, which means, you know, a quarter of your day is focused on email. And um, I think most people would agree that might not always be the most efficient and effective and productive use of one's time. I mean, we, we acknowledge that email plays a role in our communication, uh, both with yeah. our colleagues and coworkers, as well as with our clients and customers. Uh, but a quarter of the day sounds a bit much. And I'm so glad that, that you're going in the direction of, of time management. There's actually an entire chapter in the new book dedicated to time and energy management uh, and, and its relationship to stress. And it's important that we understand. And I know everyone listening right now knows this intellectually and intuitively, but they don't always match their behavior to what they know. And that is time is finite. Like time cannot be replenished. Yesterday is gone. There's nothing you or I can do to get yesterday back. It right. is done. However, energy is something that can be replenished, that, that if, you, if you eat well, if you exercise, if you get enough sleep, uh, if you take time to detox from social media, you, know, you can refill your energy bucket. So energy is something that can kind of ebb and flow. Uh, but it's vital that we understand both of those principles and we use them when making decisions. And, you know, the best thing to do, there, there's two things that we should do when it comes to time and energy management. One is make sure that we are crystal clear on our core values, crystal clear on what winning looks like to us. Like what does winning in life or winning right. in business look like and know exactly what that looks like. And then make sure that the decisions we make on a daily basis are in alignment with those things, you know, say yes to the things that fill your bucket, take you closer to the person you're trying to become and are in alignment with your core values and your North Star, and then say no to the things that aren't. And, and I know that's very easy for me to say, and that is not easy to do. Um, one of the biggest challenges I've, I've faced over the last 20 or 30 years uh, is I've always been somewhat of a people pleaser. I love to say yes. 
I, I love to say yes because it makes me feel good. I love to say yes because it usually makes the other person feel yeah. good. But if I say yes to one thing, that means in theory, I'm saying no to something else. Because if I'm saying yes to some other opportunity, that might mean I have to say no to being on your show. And, and, and that's where we have to understand that trade-off. So I've become much better at using discernment in saying yes and, and saying no to certain opportunities. And um, when I do feel that saying no is the appropriate response, uh, I, I do it with tact. I do it with class. I do it in a respectful, professional way. You know, this is just not the right fit for me, or I don't have the bandwidth to handle it at present. Uh, and I always get back to people, but I've, I've had to learn how to really guard and protect my time so that I can invest it in the things that are taking me closer to the person that I want to become. And um, I've gotten better at that over the years. Uh, I'm, I'm far from mastering it. You know, I'll say that everything you and I talk about in this conversation I'm not coming from a place of mastery. You know, I'm working on these things just like you are, just like your audience is, but I like the direction I'm going. I'm proud of the progress that I'm making and I'm getting better at what things I say yes to and what things I say no to. And then one other short bit, and I know this was a mouthful. Uh, the other thing when it comes to time and energy management is learning how to be focused on the present moment, uh, not being distracted by the past, not getting too anxious or worried about the future, but just being focused on the present moment. And one of the recalibration tools that I use, uh, because I, I share your same affliction of times where I'm busy, but I'm not being very productive. Uh, I use an acronym that I, I learned from Lou Holtz, the, the former coach at Notre Dame football. Uh, and Arkansas. The acronym is, the acronym is WIN, W-I-N, and it stands for what's important now. So any given moment of any given day, you should be able to take a deep breath and ask yourself, am I choosing to give my attention to what I believe is most deserving of it right now in this moment? Obviously, uh, at this moment and for the next however long you and I are on this call, you and your audience are the most important thing to me and you have my full undivided attention. I know you and I were even joking before we hit record, like we've turned off notifications on our phone. We've closed down everything on our laptop, you know, maybe even put a do not disturb outside of your door, but we've done everything we can to set up a system and a process that will allow us to stay focused. And then when this call is over, each of us will move on with our respective days and we should put our, our heart, soul, mind, and body into whatever it is that we go into next. And if, if you can take time a few times per day to recalibrate and ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now most deserving of my attention, you'll learn how to refocus that lens quickly. Because sometimes in the middle of a workday, when you find yourself scroll, scrolling through your Twitter feed, you'll, you'll say, you know what, this is not what I should be putting my attention in at the moment. I can do this tonight when I'm watching some TV, but right now my time and attention would be better served for this proposal I'm working on uh, or for this call that, that I need to make with a client. Um, so for me, constantly recalibrating and making sure that I'm focused on what I believe is most important um, is a tool that I found really helpful. Yeah, dude, you just took the whole podcast and just put it all in that one big monologue you gave me. Let's just shut this thing down. See you later. Have a, have a great day, guys. There you go. We just solved everybody's problem in one Dude, shot. You're welcome. That's a, I mean, I literally have notes on everything you just talked about that I wanted. Uh, anyway, so now we're really going to have to pivot and have some fun. No, <laughs> you you have a lot you just said there. So I want to unpack some of that. And so yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go. So 
first of all, talking about you know saying yes so often, I find myself and I know I work with producers all over the country and I have you know audience from all over the country that call me on this stuff. You know, for me personally in my own life, I can talk about it from this perspective of you know, I find myself so often, you know, when I'm talking to my spouse or my kids or you know, people of I'm trying to please this person. I'm trying to please that person. I find myself saying, I'm trying so hard to, to do this and that and the other. And I, I can't ever be 100% on one thing because I'm trying to give 25% here, 25% here, 25% there, 10% there. And it ends up trying to please everybody pleases nobody. And that's one of the things that bothers me so much because I'm like, if people that know me well know that my heart's there, like I want so bad to do exactly what I told you I would do. But I end up running around doing all these other things because I said yes to five other things at the same time. Like, crap, now nobody got 100%. And, yeah. you know, it's something I've really been working on at home and I've really been praying about in my own in my own life. And like, you know, God, I've got to give everything I've got at home. That's my number one priority. And I end up, you know, even there, yeah. you know, promising I'll be at this game, that dance recital, this church meeting, that, you know, this. And I end up not pleasing anybody, bro. Oh, no, I, I feel you. And I've, I've suffered from that same affliction all too often. And it's still something I find challenging. What I found is a helpful tool. And, and, and what you just said there was so insightful. You can actually even use some of the way that you just described that when, when speaking with someone else. So um, you, you have a client that, that wants you to do something and you say, look, I would love to be able to do that for you, or I'd love to be able to help you on that day. However, uh, I'm, I'm already at, at maximum bandwidth, and I would not be able to give you 100% of my effort or focus at that time, which is what you deserve. So I'm going to have to pol politely decline. Um, now, if, if you're able to postpone that for a week or two, I have a little bit more flexibility and availability. I'd be happy to accommodate you then because you are important to me and, and I want to be able to add value to you. Um, but I don't, I don't want to split myself between the other things I have going on and give you less than the best. And, and I find that explaining that uh, is helpful. Uh, same thing with family. I mean, I think one thing it's important to acknowledge most people are going to say, because it's the correct thing to say by society's terms, that my family is most important, that my family is number one, that my family takes priority. And a lot of people say that, but very few people actually live that way. You know, they, they're constantly missing games or not having date night with their spouse um, because of other obligations. So I, I think the first thing to do is just accept that and acknowledge that and just say that, you know, at, at this time in my life, Work is a very important pillar of what I'm doing, and I can't do everything. So right. there's going to be every, occasionally a dance recital that I may have to miss or a son's t-ball game that I may have to miss. Uh, I may have to postpone date night one night because something comes up. Just be honest about it. See, I, I think where, where we run into trouble and we disappoint people and then we start to feel guilty and shameful is when we put all of this stuff on our calendar, we can't manage it all. And then we let everybody else down. Um, now, if you if you do want to live a life that says your family is most important, then I recommend, and I do this as well, I recommend putting their stuff on your calendar first. You put, you put date night on for Thursday night at six. You put your kids' dance recital and t-ball game on the schedule, and then you build everything around that. Most people do the opposite. They put all of their work stuff on first. And then they just give their family the scraps that are left over. Uh, and yeah. yet they're still, they're still preaching that family's first, 
but but obviously they're being hypocritical because that's not the case. So for me, what when I look at a, a blank month on the calendar, I put down the non-negotiables with my family that are most important. Right, then I right. build everything else around that. And um, all of these things that I'm sharing are very basic in principle. None of this stuff is easy to do. So if anyone listening to this right now, if you're feeling overwhelmed or you feel like, man, I just can't do that, you're not alone. This stuff is hard to do, but it is basic in principle. And, and I'm a big systems and processes guy. So for me to know my system and have an order of operations and say, first thing I put on the calendar are the activities with my children. Next thing I put on the calendar is, is things that fill my bucket so I can be my best self. The next thing I put on the calendar are my work obligations and commitments like being on your show. Uh, the next, and, and if I do it in that order of operations, I find that I take control back. And yes, uh, occasionally is someone going to be disappointed because you can't do something with them? Yeah, but, but that's okay. Like that, that, that's their battle to fight. You know, disappointment is a part of life. It is not your job, nor is it my job to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. I mean, if you want to talk about something, one, that's unattainable, but two, is absolutely exhausting. It's the theory that you have to please everyone at all times. And, and that's a hard one for me to get over because as I told you, I'm a people pleaser. I want to please everyone 100% of the time, all of the you, time, but yeah, you it's not realistic. We're at a mid-roll ad, a mid-roll ad, and I want to talk to you about my friends over at Agency Performance Partners. They do a phenomenal job in our industry to help agents like you become ridiculously amazing. And Kelly has stepped into over 1,500 agencies, and she has helped them so much by using her, her proven tips, strategies, processes, procedures that have worked time and time again with agencies just like you. And the cool thing is that she's put so much of her trainings right there online in a do-it-yourself model just for you called the Agency Performance Pack. Uh, these are, are videos. These are trainings. These are PowerPoints. They are uh, workbooks. You get all of it right there at a great low price at $2.45 a month. Yes, you heard that right, $2.45 a month. And you can get all of her trainings from time management to retention to sales, hiring guides. There is a course on planning and executing your agency and putting in goals and strategies to help you to become better. There's so much out there. And they redo or upgrade or add new courses every single quarter. Agencyperformancepartners.com. Check that out. Also, my friends over at Cover Desk, they are the premier place to go for virtual assistance. If you've got uh, an opportunity to offload some some uh, a task and offload some some work from one of your employees, why not do that with a virtual assistant? They come in, they become part of your agency, part of your team. They are trained in our insurance space. They know a lot of the carrier systems. They know a lot of the management systems. And Andy and his team have done a great job of training them in our space. So they plug right in and they do a great job. I uh, personally work with several of these, uh, uh, several of these virtual assistants, and they are such a value add to what we do. And I love it. And I think you will too. If you have any ideas or any thoughts or questions, concerns, anything about virtual assistants, go to coverdesk.com, book a time to visit with them about it. They'll answer all your questions. They'll put your mind at ease and they will help you to get the right virtual assistant for your agency to help you to become more efficient, to sell more policies and focus on what you do best, 
which is building relationships with your clients. Go to CoverDesk.com and check it out. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, you and me both. And that's something that I, I struggle with in my own life. And I, I have to go back uh, to go to, it's a biblical principle. And in, in, in Matthew 6, 21, it talks about your treasure is where your heart is. And so for me, I have to evaluate that and check my heart on that and say, okay, is my family truly number one? Is God, is my priorities in the right order? Or am I putting other things? And I just have to check that in my own life. And so those who are listening, you know, whether you come at it from a Christianity standpoint or your own, you know, business principles or family, whatever it might be, you sometimes you just have to check your heart and figure out where that is. Where are you, you know, putting that focus and where are you putting that time? And that to me, you're exactly right, is uh, is got to be, you know, put the, the right things in first, you know, put your priorities in that order. And uh, that's something that is one of those things that I struggle with. Uh, the other thing I wanted to dissect that you talked about that I was leading you towards was, uh, you know, another struggle that I have. And it's funny, I was just on the phone this morning with two friends of mine, uh, one beeped in right after the other one. Um, and we were talking about this very thing about, you know, again, anytime you ask somebody nine times out of 10, how you doing, buddy? I'm so busy. I mean, that's like a, a term that people just use for like a status symbol or like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And so one of my buddies was like, man, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. I've got four monitors and one of them is always emails. And so I've got this going on. And, and then Amila got the phone with that guy, you know, another friend of mine beeped in and same thing of, you know, how you doing, buddy? Oh man, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so busy. I'm meeting myself coming to go. I don't know what's going on. You know, every time I turn around, you know, I've got to do this. I got this phone call, that going on. And and I was trying to talk to you about some of the things that's worked in my life. And, you know, that is shutting down those emails. And I was telling a buddy of mine, you're right now you're a firefighter instead of a, a fire preventer. Um, and you're so busy putting out fires. And as soon as that email pops up, you got to respond right now. And as soon as this happens, you got to get to it right now. Instead of being proactive, you're being reactive. And that for me is something I've battled my whole life. You know, even as I sit right now, I've got this other screen up, but I have to minimize the emails and I have to set certain times in my day where I will look at them. And it's a struggle for so many people out there. Email addiction's a real thing out. Of course. It's, it's nuts. No, it is. Well, man, there's so much there we can go with. Before we do that, I want to put one more pin in what we were talking about before. And that is just making sure that we're living a life where our beliefs and our behaviors are in alignment. And, and I find that when your beliefs and your behaviors are in alignment, one, you perform at a much higher level. There's a lot less friction in your life. Everything is swimming in the right direction. Yeah. But two, you also have a much higher sense of fulfillment. So, so to the point we were talking about earlier, uh, if you believe that your family is most important, but your behavior shows that they aren't because you're doing everything else first, now those things are going in different directions. And that's what gives us that, that empty feeling. That's what yeah. causes feelings of guilt or shame. So the key is just being in alignment and, and owning that. And, and, and again, this is not for me to impose my preferences on right. anyone else. But there are times where I say, you know, to my son, I'm going to miss your basketball tournament this weekend because I've got a speaking opportunity and I'm going to, you know, I've got to fly somewhere to speak. Um, and I just own it. I don't deflect it. I don't pretend it is my choice. And that's right. what I'm choosing to do. And I, I take that head on, which actually dovetails nicely that concept into what you were just mentioning, which once again is something I think everyone listening uh, has felt or does feel to some degree. And, and there, there's two things that we have to do. First and foremost is we have to acknowledge that, that these are decisions that we are making. You know, when people say things like, I have to do that, or I should do that. No, you don't. 
Like that is a decision. That is a choice that you're making. Uh, Choosing to respond to somebody's email within 30 seconds of receiving it is not a necessity. It's not a requirement. It's not a truth. It is your choice to do that. So you need to own the fact that it's your choice. Now, if it's a choice you want to make, that's fine. There's no judgment for me on it whatsoever, but just acknowledge that it's, it's a choice. Um, well, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the concept Jocko Willing talks about extreme ownership. Like I believe in that concept. Every single thing that's going on in my life right now uh, is a choice. Now there's a lot of outside factors that I don't have control over, no question, but it is my choice and how I choose to respond to those. So when people say that they're too busy, they need to accept the fact the reason they're too busy is because they've made the choice to be too busy. Now what most people do is they'll blame, complain, or make an excuse. They'll try to deflect. They'll say that the reason they're too busy is because their boss is making them do this, their, their spouse is making them do this, that they, those are still choices. And, and for me, it's very liberating and empowering to, to keep control and to say, I've been choosing to be way too busy. I've been choosing to feel frazzled and rattled and scattered. So if I've chosen those things, then I and I alone have the power to choose a different path. So if I've been choosing to be too busy, I'm the one that gets to choose to be less busy and, 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 or whatever your terminology is. And to me, that is incredibly empowering to take that power back. So um, instead of deflecting and spending all of this time running around, as you said, putting out fires for other people, just acknowledge the fact that you don't have to do any of that. You are choosing to do it. You know, that email that you feel like you have to respond to in 30 seconds, I'm willing to bet for 99% of emails, you're fine responding to it later that afternoon. Like, I'm not talking about not communicating with people or being unresponsive, but this urgency on it is something that you've placed, not something else. Now, I know well, there even are- in that situation, you may respond in 30 seconds, but that person's probably not even going to read that for another two hours. And so you've spent that time, oh, I got to get to it. And they don't even care if you got through that quick. No, absolutely not. And and this is where, uh, again, self-awareness is so important. I know about myself. I love structure. I love consistency. I love processes. I love systems. So I, I build those things into my life, one, because they give me comfort, but two, because that's how I perform at my best and that's how I feel the most fulfilled. So I have systems in place. A perfect one is I turn my phone off and put it face down away from me when I need to be 100% focused like I am with you right now. Because I know myself well enough that if I leave my phone on my desk face up and it's on, every time it dings or buzzes, I'm going to look at it. And that's going to take me away from my connection with you and your audience. So the system I put in place is if I don't want to be bothered by my phone, I put my phone somewhere else. Um, So same thing with with the example you mentioned about having a second monitor up with email. Um, That is a choice that someone makes and you are not you, but people are choosing to allow themselves to be distracted because of the system that they put in place. Um, It's no, and this works in every area of life. Um, If you would like to start eating a more healthy diet, then don't have a, a refrigerator and pantry full of junk food because temptation and willpower like they're strong or, you know, I mean, willpower is, is, is easily undermined by temptation. So if you know that you have a sweet tooth and your pantry and refrigerator are full of sweets, you just need to know that you have set yourself up with a system that's probably going to be really difficult to overcome. So instead, try to make some, some changes to that system and process 
and, and then you'll have a much more fluid way of improving. Yeah. So, and I, I love that. And I think that there's some good analogies there, but I wanted to pause you for a minute uh, because I know you're going to give me some more gold and I could let you go for another 30 minutes, but I got to stop you there because here's the thing that I hear so many times. And I know it's very true in my own life as I'm going through my journey of being more productive than just busy. I guess the first thing I would say you brought up and I work with some people that are like this too. You love processes. You love systems. You I love do. those things. I do not. Half sure. of my audience does not. Sure. And so when you got people, oh, you just got to be more organized. You just got to do this. And like my wife is like you, loves that kind of stuff. And I'm like, honey, that ain't me, you know? But again, obviously that not being me, I can't use that excuse my whole life. But what would you say to those people that would say, Alan, Heath, I, I don't like systems, processes. It's not me. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I may not have articulated myself as well as, as I should have. The key for each of us is to have the self-awareness to know what works best for us. You know, I, I've figured those things out for myself. And I certainly by no means meant to imply that the way I do things is the way you should do them or anyone else. I certainly don't mean to imply um, good versus bad, right versus wrong. No, you no, know, no. I didn't take that at all. I was no, I know. But well, there, there's a few. There's a few. There's a few things about myself that I know. One of them is I love structure. I love processes. I love consistency. The second is uh, I love early mornings. Like I know that I personally am most productive between 6 and 10 a.m. That's when I do my best work physically, mentally, and emotionally. So I, knowing that, I build my day around the fact that when I have important work to do that requires mental, physical, or emotional energy, I schedule it in that block. So that, you know, later in the day, when I'm not as high capacity in those areas, I can do more uh, menial work that doesn't necessitate that. So just knowing those two things about myself is what allows me to optimize my day and my performance. So all I would recommend for you and your listeners is to figure out how you work best, how you operate best, what your preferences are, and start to design your life uh, around those. But I also want to say um, we have to be very careful about boxing ourselves in and labeling ourselves because these are just stories and narratives that we've created. Now, you and I are just kind of meeting and getting acquainted. So I don't know you well enough to, to have any extra insight. But I know if, if you make a statement like, um, I'm, not a, I'm not saying you said this, but I'm not an organized person or I, I don't like processes and systems. You have to ask yourself, is that actually a truth or is that simply a story that you've told yourself over the years and continue to tell yourself? Um, now, I'm not negating the fact that, that those things might not be your preference and you might not operate best the same way I do. But I know for myself, I have to be very careful about constantly telling myself the same story that I've been telling myself for years because it's not necessarily a truth. And, and, and we all can easily label the, you know, label those things. I, I know people that say things like, you know, I'm shy. Well, you're not necessarily shy. You've just told yourself that you're shy over and over to the, the point that that now becomes your truth, but it's not an actual truth. Like there's, there was nothing when you were born, there was no label inserted in your body that told you, you were going to be a shy person. That's just something you've come to believe. So uh, for me, I'm constantly working to tear some of these labels off that I've put on myself. And anytime I, I start to believe a truth, I realize that it's actually not a truth. It's a narrative. And I can change that if I so choose. So I, I know that was a mouthful and a lot, 
the, the, no, the real no, you... summary, the summary to it is just make sure that everyone has the awareness to figure out how you operate best. And before you decide on that, just make sure that these, these things that you're telling yourself, um, just know that there are stories in their narratives that you've created. Now you've created them for good reason. You probably have plenty of examples in the past that back up your narrative and your story. So you tend to believe that they're true, but they're not actual truths. Gravity is a truth. It doesn't matter if you're in Arkansas or you're in DC. If you go up to the, the second story of a house and you step off the ledge, you're going to fall to the ground. Gravity is indisputable. That is a fact. But whether or not you're organized and whether or not I'm shy, those are not facts. Those are opinions. Those are perspectives. And those are stories that we've told ourselves. And I just want to make sure people are aware of that because you may be telling yourself stories that are not in your own best interest. They're not serving you. And the sooner you can start to tell yourself a different story, the better off you'll be. No, you're exactly right. And I had you know, a good friend of mine, Kelly, uh, you know, guest on the show as well. And good friend Kelly Donnie Piro told me the same thing that you just said was like, are you unorganized? Or is that just something you've been telling yourself? Is that really your narrative? Or are you just making that your narrative? Because you've told yourself for 42 years, I'm not organized. I'm a procrastinator. And, and for me personally, I hear it all the time from other producers I work with. I work best under pressure. And that's just an excuse for being a procrastinator. Or, you know, I do this or that because of that. I love what you just said because it backs up so many other people have told me that in my life. Another example for me in that was several years ago. I was like, you know, I had this idea and this dream of being a podcaster and being a YouTube person and having this. And I was like, I'm not an influencer. I'm not important. I'm not a special person. I'm not a book writer. I'm not this. I can't be a podcaster. And then it was like, God hit me. And you know, I was like, there's a pandemic. You got nothing else to do. Let's start this podcast, see what happens. And now two years later, you know, I've got a, a following of thousands of people that download every week. And I've got, yeah. I get invited to go speak at in engagements. And I get invited to do these and those things. And you know, now I'm training people over the country because I just decided, you know what? I am a podcaster and, you know, I am a YouTuber. I can do these things. I just thought, cause I'm, I'm older or, you know, I, I'm not an influencer. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that I told myself I could, and now I did, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, not, I do. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying. No, you, but that's the beauty of it. You, you have the blank canvas and you're the one that holds the pen. So you can create whatever it is that you want to create. I, I love that example. So saying I'm not an influencer and I'm not a podcaster is not a fundamental truth. It was, a, it was your perspective at the time. And you probably have plenty of examples of maybe something someone else has said that might support that, but you still have to realize that's just their perspective. You were able to flip that and say, you know what? I am going to give this podcasting thing a try. And now you right. are a podcaster. You know, the one, that I hear, the, the one that I hear the most often is, well, I'm just not a disciplined person. You know, be, because I choose to get up early, because I'm, I'm very committed to my own physical fitness and wellness, you know, people will say something to the effect of, you know, I, I wish I was disciplined to, to get up and work out and eat healthy. And I'm like, well, that's just a story you've told yourself. No one is either disciplined or undisciplined. Discipline is a, is a decision that you choose to make in the moment. And in any given moment, you can choose to make a more disciplined decision. And when you start to stack those disciplined decisions more consistently, then you start to feel like you are a more disciplined person. So um, that, that to me is, is what's so important. And, and one of the, the dangers to all of this stuff that we're talking about um, is playing the comparison game. Because every perception we have in this world, it's relative to something else. 
So even when, when you may have in the past said a statement like, I'm not very organized, that statement is said through your lens where you're probably comparing yourself to your spouse who might be hyper-organized. So yeah, compared to her, you feel like I'm not very organized. But, but once again, that's not a truth. That is your perception. Right. And it's only your perception in the moment because of who you're comparing yourself to. You know, some people look at me and they think I'm incredibly disciplined and that they're not that disciplined where I could easily, you know, years ago have looked at Kobe Bryant and felt, boy, I'm certainly not disciplined. That guy's got <laughs> discipline on a whole nother right. level. So there's no need to play this comparison game. Uh, we need to work hard. And this is something that I am challenged with every day of my life to tell ourselves a better story and to tell and to, to create the narrative in a way that's much more serving for us and less and less undermining. And because we all tell ourselves these stories that are cutting ourselves off at the knees and telling yourself, I'm not disciplined. I'm not organized. I'm not an influencer. When you say those things over and over, they become your reality and they become your truth. And then guess what? When you believe that is your truth, then you aren't disciplined, you aren't organized, and you will never be an influencer or a podcaster because you've made that self-fulfilling process. So just like you can put those labels on, you can rip those labels off and start telling yourself something else. And to do that, you need to be honest and aware. Like this is not about being delusional. This is not about, you know, saying that speaking into existence, things that are far from your reality at present, but just being able to say, look, I'm a human being, I'm fallible and I'm flawed, but the next opportunity that I have to make a disciplined decision, I'm going to do my best to make a disciplined decision. You know, I'm, so, I'm trying to improve my physical well-being. So instead of worrying about everything in the world, all I'm going to worry about is the next meal that I eat, I'm going to strive to eat something healthier than I've been eating in the past. That's all you have to do. That's just focus on that. And then a little bit later in the day, say, right. you know what, instead of watching uh, an episode of Netflix, I'm just going to go for a walk. That would be a more disciplined decision in that moment. And it'll start to build some momentum because now you're taking yourself closer to the person you want to become. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it brings me to, uh, there was a video that was circulating around. I know you saw it. Uh, We all did from uh, as a U.S. Navy, like William McRaven, I think was his name about make your bed every morning. Of course. And that discipline and that hit me square between the eyes, especially talking about discipline. And I know that had to impacted you. And I, you know, you talking about discipline and just picking that thing and his story, if you want to expound on that just a minute and then we'll get into some other things and wrap it up. But uh, I know that had to have impacted you as well. Just being the guy that you are. Oh, most certainly. I mean, the, the crazy part, and I say this with a smile and all due respect to him. I've made my bed every single morning since I was in my early twenties. So that's 20 plus years. Haven't missed a day. Yeah. So I've been making my bed long before uh, he gave that that commencement address and long before he went viral, um, which is a shame because maybe if I would have said that beforehand, someone would have made me go viral. Um, right. But no, I completely I completely support his message. And, and for me, uh, here's another Jocko Willink reference where Jocko says discipline equals freedom. I've always believed that. I believe that the key to high performance, the key to fulfillment, the the key to any type of freedom or inner peace in your life is through discipline. Uh, I had a coach tell me when I was really young, and this is something that has stuck with me for over 30 years. Coach said, Alan, if you discipline yourself, others won't need to. And that just like you hearing that that, that video kind of hit you between the eyes, that hit me between the eyes. It was like, well, if I'm disciplined with myself, then then I won't get in any trouble. No one will discipline me. I'll never have to, there won't, you know, that was my mindset. So um, I've, I've chosen to be a disciplined person in most areas of my life 
most of the time. And I do that. The reason I make my bed every single morning um, is because I believe making your bed is an act of discipline. And I do believe discipline is put you on the path to everything that we're pursuing, uh, freedom, happiness, peace, uh, fulfillment, performance. So I figure if I can start every single day of my life with a very small act of discipline, um, what better way to create some momentum for the day? I mean, it takes me 10 seconds to make my bed. It's not like this is this big, this, 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 this big thing that I need to do. Um, but just that one small act and it is one of my most ingrained habits at this point, because I haven't missed a day in 20 plus years. Um, and that's how I like to start my day. That, that gives me some confidence that I am a disciplined person and I can make disciplined decisions. I love it. So I do want to, I want to give you an opportunity here for however long it takes for you to talk about, we've talked about a lot of things here and I, and I love it. And you know, there's going to have to be a part two down the road because we can't get into everything. My notes are. I would love that. Here. But sustain your game. Tell me about this. Uh, I want to give you a chance to plug that because I want everybody to go out and buy, raise your game, but I also want you to uh, either pre-order or look for sustain your game. Tell us about that a little bit. Obviously they want to buy it now because they love you, but tell me more. Thank you. Well, you know, it's been my experience that as hard as it is to reach the mountaintop, it's actually more challenging to stay there. Um, you know, and, and that speaks volumes because getting to the high, the, the, the height of your, your craft, no matter what area of life you're in is really difficult to do, but staying there um, is just as hard, if not harder. Uh, and that is because of stress and stagnation and burnout. And I think those three things in particular um, have been heightened exponentially uh, over this two-year global pandemic. Um, you know, stress, stagnation, and burnout is rampant. I mean, when you looked at some of the statistics and studies that were done before the pandemic, it was already starting to get out of control. And now I think that's been exponentially heightened for a lot of people. So um, I wanted to, to provide some strategies and some tools for folks to deal with those things. And, and they are the strategies and tools that I use in my own life. Uh, and as I said before, and I'll say it again, uh, I'm not speaking from a place of mastery. I'm simply sharing some things that have worked well for me and have put me on a path towards a higher level of fulfillment and certainly on a path of much higher performance. And um, I, I basically always write about what it is that I'm experiencing and what I'm going through uh, and aim to do that for the benefit of others. So um, if someone wants to go to sustainyourgamebook.com uh, or you can search for it on Amazon, or if you like audiobooks, and I know you mentioned you do, uh, I did the narration for it. Uh, the audiobook actually has got some, some extra bonus content. Uh, they've enriched my narration with some music. It should be pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, if anyone's interested in those, I, I hope you find them helpful. That was the reason for writing them. And you can also find anything else you need about me uh, at allensteinjr.com, strongerteam.com. And I'm very easily found at allensteinjr on all of the major social platforms. Dude, that's awesome. I know we have a hard stop here in a minute. I appreciate because you, again, stole my thunder. You've been on a few podcasts telling your contact info. But if you could give me three more minutes, I want you to tell my audience a story that's impacted me that I heard somewhere from you um, as I did my research. But tell me or tell my audience uh, to wrap up about Nate Darling. Oh, man. Yeah, Nate Darling, uh, one of my all-time favorite players and kids that I've ever worked with. So uh, there was a, I, I used to run something called the cutting edge clinic series, and I would travel around the world um, offering these three hour on court workouts 
for basketball players, mostly in middle school and high school, uh, to improve their athleticism, uh, to improve their core strength, their hand-eye coordination, their agility, basically give them the tools that they would need uh, to, to improve themselves from a performance standpoint. And I would usually have coaches in attendance that would just watch and observe uh, and take notes as well. And uh, literally, these clinics have brought me all over the world. Um, and I found myself in Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada, uh, and I was running a series of clinics that weekend um, for hundreds of players. And, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, this has been a long time now, um, but there was a young man there who was, I think he was in eighth grade at the time. Um, and, you know, uh, he would show up to the gym early. Um, the moment he walked in the gym, before we even started anything, he'd be laced up and he'd be doing some form shooting and some ball handling drills. Uh, when the workout was over, you know, everybody else was kind of rushing to get out of there and he was staying to get up extra shots. I mean, there was just something really special about this young man. And, um, you know, I had some nice conversations with him. He was so respectful and polite. Uh, so we, we kept in touch. Um, and he eventually moved to the United States to play at DeMatha Catholic High School, which is where I was the performance coach, uh, which is an internationally renowned school that's produced dozens of NBA players. Uh, and he came to DeMatha and was an exceptional player at DeMatha. Uh, then he went on and had a, a nice Division I career, uh, graduated from University of Delaware. Um, and then he was actually picked up by the Charlotte Hornets and was a, a rookie with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, this would have been, I believe, two years ago now. And uh, I just think it's so amazing um, that, that this young man, mentally, physically, and emotionally, started preparing to be in the NBA, you know, when he was in seventh and eighth grade. And he started preparing by his work habits and his mindset and showing up early and staying late and doing all of those little things. Um, so when I met him that day, I never in a million years would have thought that he was a future NBA player, never in a million years. But then once I got to know him and I continued to be a part of his journey, when he made it to the NBA, I wasn't even remotely surprised because I, I knew everything that he had put into that uh, the sacrifices he had made and the preparation that he had put into it. So uh, it's kind of neat going from, I had no clue he'd be in the NBA to absolutely, of course, he'll be in the NBA. Look what he's done. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that story. And what I think is also fascinating in the last, the very, very last thing is to know that Alan Stein Jr. has his next 20 years already mapped out as well. Oh, for sure. And, and, and to, to, to clarify that, I don't believe in postponing happiness or fulfillment. So what I'm about to share is something that I'm currently living every single day, but I do always have a, a projection in the future of the person that I'm working to become. And this, this process of working to become is something I do every single day. So at 46 years old, I am crystal clear on the man I want to be 20 years from now. And 20 years from now, uh, without getting too granular or specific, uh, 20 years from now, I want to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. 20 years from now, I want to have a really deep, strong, loving relationship with my children and my family and friends. Uh, 20 years from now, I want to be doing work that I consider meaningful and in service of other people. Uh, so that's, that's who I'm striving to become. Now, with that being said, that's who I'm striving to be presently. Like I'm not waiting 20 years to be those things. I'm working on those things right now and want to continue to evolve and level those things up, but I'm doing those things now. So for me, the biggest filter that I use in my life, every decision I make, whether it's uh, what I'm going to eat for lunch or what I'm going to watch on Netflix or who I'm going to follow on Instagram, I ask myself, does this take me closer to becoming that man or does it take me further away? 
And my goal every single day is to try to make as many decisions as I can that take me closer to becoming that person. Now, I don't worry about perfection. I, I, and trust me, that's a good thing because I'm far from perfect. So I'm not worried about batting a thousand. I'm just concerned with progress. And can I consistently make better decisions that allow me to evolve into that person? Um, and the, 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 the last part of that is every night before I go to bed, I ask myself a very, very basic question. I say, I just traded 24 hours of my life for the progress that I made today. Am I happy with that trade? Like I traded a piece of my life for whatever I got out of today. Was that a good trade? And if the answer is yes, then I can put my head on my pillow and get a restful night's sleep. If my answer is no, and occasionally it's no, occasionally I, I, I don't have the best day. I don't make the best decisions. I exercise poor judgment. I make some boneheaded mistakes. I give myself the grace and permission to forgive myself. And I still uh, get a peaceful night's sleep because I know today is always over tomorrow. So on the, the rare occasion that I don't have my best day, I forgive myself. I allow myself to be human and mess up. And I just say, today's over. Let's go to bed and tomorrow we'll do a better job. And those filtering systems, um, as basic as they may be, are definitely not easy, but they've helped put me on the path that I'm on. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Dude, if I had an applause button, I would hit it right now. I love the way you just did that and wrapped that up. I ran you all the way to our stop. I appreciate you. Thank you for hanging out in Insurance Town today. Thank you for sharing your story with my audience. I, I appreciate you more than you know, brother. Absolutely. My pleasure. This was so much fun. You made my job easy and uh, I'm definitely down for a part two in the future. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for checking out this conversation with my man, Alan Stein. Again, I know you've probably heard him on other shows, but hopefully this one was different for you. And this guy just brings it. <laughs> I really hope that the content we brought you made you a better insurance professional. So um, if you have an idea for your own show, reach out to my friends over at Ready, Set, Podcast. Their website address is getreadysetpodcast.com. Ready, Set, Podcast. Turning your brilliant ideas into reality. Thanks again, guys. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week.